Well, I want to encourage you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 30 and walking through verse 50 is where we will spend our time together this morning in God's Word. We have been walking our way through Mark's Gospel for a number of months now, and we will continue to do that over the next few weeks together, and so I want to encourage you to be prepared as you come in with your copy of God's Word. Reading ahead will always be helpful for you. As we prepare to dive in this morning, I want to ask you this question. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? Think about that. The best piece of advice that you have ever received. I've got a couple of those. I remember my granddad always saying to me, Michael, wherever you go, carry a pocket knife. I would ask him at times, Papa, you got a, you got a knife on you. His response was, Bo, I got my pants on, don't I? That was his response. I remember my dad telling me, if you ever have an opportunity, always back into a parking space. How many of you back into parking spaces like you're supposed to? How many of you are frustrated by the people who back into parking spaces? There you go. I knew they were here. But I think the best piece of advice that I have ever received came from my father-in-law. He wasn't my father-in-law at that point. In fact, I had gone to him and was asking for permission to ask his daughter to marry me. That was what I went in to do. And he looked at me and he asked this question, which is a legitimate question. Why do you want to marry my daughter? I thought, that's good. And so I responded as anyone would in that situation. I said, well, I love her. And he said, that's great. He said, I want you to know something. The person that you love today will not be the same person five years from now. Think about that. And the truth is, none of us are the same person five years from now that we are today. We change, we grow, we develop. Those things are true. And what he was saying is, the person that you're in love with today is gonna change. She's gonna be different five years from now. Are you prepared to love her in that moment as well? You know, as we think about advice, as we think about things that people have told us this morning, as we look at the text together, We're going to look at some words that Jesus offers to his disciples, what I've entitled Words to Live By. As we think about following Jesus, I hope that these three truths that we talk about this morning would encourage us and challenge us in our walk with him. If you're taking notes, you can write down these parallel passages that will go along with Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through verse 50, Matthew chapter 17, verses 22 and 23, and then Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 9, Luke chapter 9, verses 43 through verse 50. I'd simply encourage you in your own time with the Lord over the course of this next week to spend some time reading through these passages that parallel with Mark chapter 9, 
the verses that we're going to cover this morning and ask the Lord to continue to speak to you through his word as you're challenged and encouraged with what it means to follow Jesus. I want to read Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 30, going down through verse 37, and then we'll walk through those next verses together as we continue on in this message. But look at Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 30. This is God's word. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see. That you would open our ears that we would be able to hear. And that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. As you're taking notes this morning, I want to encourage you to write down this main idea. It will frame our time together in Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through verse 50. It's this truth. Following Jesus requires servanthood humility, and righteousness. The three words that Jesus is going to give to his disciples walking through these verses is servanthood, humility, and righteousness. What does it look like for us to follow Jesus? What does it look like for us to walk in obedience to him? Well, it looks like those three things, servanthood, humility, righteousness. And I would say to you, remember that as we've been walking our way through Mark's gospel, that over the last number of weeks, Jesus has begun to ramp things up for his disciples. He's begun to say things to them that they were not expecting. He's begun to help them understand, at least to a degree, what he's about to experience at the hands of the religious leaders, that he would be killed, that he would rise from the dead. He's trying to prepare them for what's to come. They're struggling to grasp it, struggling to understand it. But what Jesus is doing is saying to them, if you want to follow me, this is what it looks like to follow me. And I want to say to us this morning, if we want to follow Jesus... This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Let me just remind us 
that apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit indwelling us and enabling us and empowering us to do those three things you see on the screen, it is impossible for us to do those apart from him. So this is not Jesus saying, pick yourself up by your own bootstraps and do these things. What he's trying to help his disciples understand is that if they are spirit-empowered, if they are walking in obedience with him, their lives will be marked by these three things, servanthood, humility, righteousness. So just ask yourself the question this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, Do those three things mark your life? I want to remind you of where we are geographically at this point. Jesus and his disciples had been spending time up in Caesarea Philippi. That was north of the Sea of Galilee. And as you see, walking through these verses, they are going to make their journey back to Capernaum. That was where Jesus had first called his disciples to follow him. It was the hometown of Peter and Andrew and James and John and Matthew. They are going back to home territory. And Jesus is preparing them for what it's going to look like moving ahead. Notice in verse 30, as they begin to pass through Galilee, it says that Jesus did not want them to be found out. He didn't want them to be disturbed by the crowds coming around because Jesus was trying to help them understand what's coming. And so we see once again that he was teaching, verse 31, his disciples saying to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. Remember, this is not the first time that Jesus has told his disciples that this is going to take place. He had told them this previously, and they didn't grasp it in that moment. In fact, on the back end of it, that's when Peter rebuked Jesus and said to him, you can't say things like that. And once again, Jesus is reminding his disciples, this is what is coming. It says in verse 32, they did not understand the saying." And they were afraid to ask him. I mean, how many times does Jesus have to say, this is what's coming, for them to finally get it? Parents, we've asked that question before of our kids, haven't we? How many times do I have to tell them something for them to finally get it? Well, Jesus' disciples still do not get it. They don't understand And there's a reason why. Mark explains in verse 33, when they came to Capernaum, they were in the house. Jesus asked them, watch this, what were you discussing on the way? What was Jesus teaching them on the way? Here's what's coming. Jesus says, I know you guys were talking. I know you guys were having a debate about something. What were you talking about? Notice, verse 34, they kept silent. For on the way, watch this, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Think about that. They are in the presence of Jesus arguing with one another 
about who's the greatest. You know, I think I'm pretty great. And John says, no, I think I'm probably greater. I mean, think about that. How crazy that they are arguing as Jesus is talking about being the suffering servant. They're talking about who of them is the greatest. Which of them will sit at the right hand of the Father? Which of them is the greatest in the group of the disciples? And I want you to see, Jesus is going to hit them right where that conversation is. He sat down and called the 12, and he said to them, listen to this, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. What is a word to live by? The first one is this, the servant is the greatest. Jesus' disciples were trying to figure out which of them was the greatest, and Jesus lays it out for them. Who is the greatest? The greatest is the servant. The greatest is the one who is not first, but the one Jesus said who is last of all and servant of all. I want you to notice what Jesus does in verse 36. He took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. What is this illustration that Jesus provides for his disciples in this moment? Well, what you have to understand is that kids were not seen very positively at this point in time. In fact, they were pretty much considered property. And so kids were not necessarily valued at all. And Jesus takes a little child into his lap as an illustration to show these disciples, what does it look like to be the greatest? It looks like receiving one of these little children. It looks like being a servant. It looks like laying your life down for someone else. It looks like not seeking the position of prominence, but seeking to be a servant instead. I remember that Thanksgivings in years past when I was a teenager, I always hated them. The food was always good, but I always had to sit at the kids' table. How many of you sat at the kids' table at some point when you didn't think you deserved to sit at the kids' table? I mean, mashed potatoes are flying, and you're like, I'm not supposed to be here. This is not my spot. But notice what Jesus says here, that the one who is willing to serve, the one who is willing to sit at the kids' table, the one who is willing to be a servant is actually the one who is the greatest. So let me ask you that in your life. 
are you willing to be the servant? You know, as you think through that, I want you to ask the question of yourself, what am I chasing in my life? Am I chasing position? Am I chasing wealth? Am I chasing prominence? Am I chasing after those things? Or think about it this way, am I chasing servanthood? Think about that. Because Jesus says for us, the servant is the greatest. And Jesus doesn't just tell us that. Jesus lives that. Jesus walks that out in his life. He came not to be served, but to serve, to lay his life down as a ransom for many, which means if we are going to follow Jesus, we too must be willing to serve and not be served. We must be willing to lay our lives down instead of preferring our wants, needs above everyone else. Live a life of service to others. That is where you will find greatness. Jesus doesn't stop. In fact, notice in Mark chapter 9, verses 38 through verse 41, another word to live by. This situation arises with John. In verse 38, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Not only is the servant the greatest, but notice what Jesus says here in these verses, whoever is not against us is for us. Whoever is not against us is for us. It's interesting that this plays out for Jesus' disciples. Remember that as they were following him, Jesus had sent them out, remember, to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, to cast out demons, to heal. That were the things that Jesus had sent his disciples out to do. And John raises an issue with Jesus. He says, hang on just a second. He says, teacher, there was one casting out demons in your name. We tried to stop him because he was not following us. It's an interesting scenario here. I think John's heart is he's concerned about this guy and what he's doing. I want you to notice what Jesus says, though. Do not stop him. No one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Verse 40, for the one who is not against us is for us. 
Now, just quickly, I want to lay out for us something that I think is vitally important for us to understand about what Jesus is doing here. In fact, when you look at what Jesus says, Jesus' concern in this moment ultimately is his name and his fame. He's not primarily concerned about what this guy's doing because he says here, the concern is his own glory. And so in verse 39, no one who does a mighty work in my name will be soon afterward to speak evil of me. Now, Jesus, I want you to know, has already spoken about this issue in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through verse 23. In fact, you can write that down. I'd encourage you to spend some time in that this coming week. But Jesus describes a scenario in the end when there are those who come to Jesus and say, did we not prophesy in your name? And did we not cast out demons in your name? And did we not perform miracles in your name? And Jesus says to them, depart from me, I never knew you. So I want us to be very clear that Jesus is crystal clear that there are going to be those who claim to do things in his name who are not actually followers of Jesus. And then, I want you to write down Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, because Paul would highlight this truth as well. He said, there were some who preached Christ out of envy. Some who were seeking to get back at Paul and were preaching the gospel as he was in prison to try and get back at him. But notice that Paul says about them, as long as Christ is preached, it's okay. As long as the gospel is proclaimed, that is enough. And so you look at this and you think, okay, Pastor, help me understand what in the world is going on in these verses because it sounds like Jesus is just giving carte blanche to whoever wants to claim to be following him and do things in his name. And I want you to notice the last verse that we read there. Truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Who is the one issuing the reward? It is the Lord himself. And so for us as followers of Jesus, there are moments in our lives when we need to take a step back and we need to leave it up to the Lord and his hands to do what he's going to do. Now hear me. I'm not saying where there is a false gospel being proclaimed that we don't call that out. Of course we do. But there are often moments where things are going on that we don't understand and we don't have a good explanation for. And even more so, we don't know what's going on in the person's heart that's proclaiming the gospel either. And Jesus says here to his disciples... Take a measure of humility in these moments. 
Don't be timid to call out false doctrine. Certainly we do that. But where you don't know what's going on truly behind the scenes and you don't know what's going on in someone's heart, approach that with a measure of humility, knowing that ultimately God will bring righteous judgment in that situation. I want to say this to you, there are so many times that I have seen followers of Jesus at odds with one another over secondary and third tier issues, that they can't accomplish the mission that God has given them to accomplish, which is making disciples because they're spending all of their time arguing with one another. And Jesus says here, if they're not against you, then count them as for you. Jesus is not saying put on blinders and don't worry about what they're talking about or what they're doing. Jesus is not saying that. But he is saying in this moment, if you don't know, if you don't have clear evidence, clear proof that what they're doing is contrary to what God's word says, keep your mouth shut and trust the Lord to do what he is going to do, which is bring righteous judgment if in fact they're not doing what God has called them to do. Which means for us, let us be about what God has called us to do. There are plenty of negative Nancys out there. If your name's Nancy, I'm sorry. <laughs> there's plenty. You don't have to look very far. And the problem is there's way too many who are followers of Jesus that look like they've sucked on a lemon. We have the opportunity to pursue the mission of God and to make disciples and to partner with others who believe the gospel as we do and proclaim it truthfully. And Jesus says to his disciples here, take a measure of humility in these moments. Jesus doesn't stop. He continues in verse 30, 42 through verse 50. I want you to notice this is what Jesus says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Not only does Jesus remind us that the servant is the greatest, 
He reminds us that whoever is not against us is for us. And then lastly, this third saying, Jesus reminds us if we are going to follow him, we must make war with sin. We must make war against sin in our lives. Notice how Jesus describes this in verse 42. Whoever causes one of the least little ones who believes in me to sin, he says, it would be better for them to be drowned in the ocean. And then he goes on to say, if your hand causes you to sin, how drastic, cut it off. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye, Jesus says, causes you to sin, take it out. It is better not to have those than to spend eternity in hell. What this reminds us of is the truth that Jesus takes sin seriously. And if we are going to follow Jesus, we too must take sin seriously. And as a follower of Jesus, what we are called to do, Jesus says, is to make war against sin in our lives. Not seek to get as close to it as we can without crossing the line. But to pursue righteousness in our lives to run hard after Jesus and his righteousness. And the promise for us is if we are followers of Jesus, if we've been saved from our sin and the Holy Spirit of God dwells within us, he brings conviction of sin in our lives, helping us see the truth that we need to see. And you may have come in this morning, and for you, that's where you are. There's sin in your life as a follower of Jesus that has not been confessed, has not been turned from, and the Holy Spirit right now is knocking at your heart's door saying, He is talking about you. I want to encourage you this morning, listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in this moment. Take sin seriously. In fact, Jesus says, it is better to take such drastic action as he describes than it is to live with sin and deceive yourself that you are a follower of Jesus when in fact you're not. In fact, Jesus reminds us in the same way that if any of us had cancer, that we would take immediate drastic action to do everything that we could to rid our bodies of that cancer and sin in the life of a believer is cancer. And we must actively work to make war against sin in our lives as followers of Jesus. So I want to encourage you, reflect this morning Would you describe your life as a follower of Jesus, as a life of servanthood, a life of humility, a life of righteousness? I want to ask you to bow your heads with me.
as our worship team makes their way up and I want to encourage our ushers to go ahead and grab the elements for us to celebrate communion together this morning. We'll do that first and then we'll sing as we close out our service together. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, maybe for you, you came in today and the truth is you are not yet a follower of Jesus. You never come to that point of recognizing that you're a sinner in need of a Savior and that apart from Jesus Christ, you cannot be forgiven of your sin. This morning, you want to place your faith and trust in Him alone for salvation and begin this journey of following Jesus. If that's you, we would encourage you to take that step today. If you have questions, we'd love to follow up with you on those. Fill out a connection card or reach out to us in the office. We'd love to talk with you, even following the service this morning. But if you are already a follower of Jesus, And you reflect on these words that Jesus gave to his disciples. That your life should be marked by servanthood, by humility, by righteousness. Where is there room to grow? And this morning, would you, just between you and the Lord, ask God to search your heart. Expose those areas where you need to grow in servanthood, humility, and righteousness. And allow the Lord to work in your heart and in your life. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask that you would continue to work in us and through us for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to ask our ushers if you'd go ahead and begin to pass out the elements this morning. I would encourage you, if you are a follower of Jesus, to join us as we celebrate what Jesus Christ has done, his life, his death, his resurrection, as we celebrate communion together.